Welcome to the Pop Cult Podcast. Here are your hosts Ariana and Seth. This is the Pop Cult Podcast. I'm Seth. I'm Ariana. And today we're reviewing two popcorn movies, I guess you would call them. Later we'll be talking about the horror film The Boogeyman. But first we're going to be talking about the latest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film, Mutant Mayhem. After years of being sheltered from the human world, the Turtle Brothers set out to win the hearts of New Yorkers and be accepted as normal teenagers. Their new friend, April O'Neil, helps them take on a mysterious crime syndicate, but they soon get in over their heads when an army of mutants is unleashed upon them. Uh, So before we get into this movie specifically, uh, what is your history with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Ariana? Oh boy, I can't like, I don't have a solid memory of never not being like a Ninja Turtles fan. Yeah, well, I mean, by the time they came around, you that would be when your memories were beginning yeah, to form. Exactly. So I have a very distinctive memory of the first time that I remember hanging out with my cousins from Florida and my cousin um, was like, Hey, do you want to play Barbies? And I'm like, eh, eh, eh. they're playing turtles. <laughs> and and you wanted to play turtles. turtles. <laughs> I'm sure you can know which one I wanted to be. Michelangelo. Yes. Of course. Right, yes. <laughs> You're a party dude. No. <laughs> Uh, yes, I'm such yeah. a party person. Uh, my, I can remember the first time I became aware of the turtles. Okay. It was summer break. And of course, all I did was sit in front of a television all day <laughs> with my toys. And I can remember they aired it was part one of like the five part pilot movie. They were airing it in pieces on our Fox affiliate in uh, Nashville. And I remember the theme song started and I was like, a what with a what with a who what? <laughs> like, and, what the, what and, and I couldn't. What? And when it was over, I kept when I would try to describe it to like my parents or other people, uh, the turtle ninjas. <laughs> like I kept I couldn't remember Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like those four That's words. A lot for a yeah. Uh, but I was immediately fascinated because it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. I kind of see it as the second to last big toy action figure line before action figures have kind of became just background noise because i would say after this you have power rangers and then post power rangers i think action figures are dead they were overtaken by video games like they're still there but it's like he the star wars toys kind of kicked it off in the late 70s he man followed then you just had like an insane amount of things gi joe transformers on and on then turtles is kind of bringing up the rear of that period yeah. And then the 90s was Power Rangers. And then once Power Rangers was kind of shrunk into its kind of cult following status, people just don't do action figures that much anymore. And I remember being obsessed with the action figures. Of course. Not just like the regular turtles, but there were all these weird side characters that never showed up in the cartoon show. It was clear that just in the Playmates design department, they were like, we need X number of figures for, you know, this quarter. So, of course, we're going to do variations on the Turtles or Shredder or whatever. But then we have these other slots come up with characters and we'll throw them in there. Yeah. And so that's where you would get stuff like um, the uh, bat that we see in this movie, uh, Wingnut. You would get characters like Ray Filet, mm-hmm. who I can't remember ever showing up. I think maybe he showed up on the cartoon once near the end. Yeah. Uh, I remember Leatherhead 
showing up in it, the alligator. He was early yeah. on. But like a lot of these characters were just those kind of side things just to fill in a toy line. Uh, I saw the first Turtles movie in the theater. Uh, my sister, Heather, won passes off the Fox Kids Club. Yeah, I was about to ask about yeah, that. Yeah, but he... because she was five years old, she didn't really have any friends. And we were homeschooled. She didn't really have any <laughs> friends to uh, take with us because it was two passes, two people each pass. So it was me, Heather, uh, my dad, and then my friend, one of my friends, Justin, I think his name was. I don't remember. Yeah, you really connected with that kid. But we went to, uh, it was like the Mets theater in metro center in nashville back when that place used to have a theater and i can remember watching the movie and being shocked when Raphael went damn it in the opening um, because it we cussed uh but then also being very confused because the, the whole tone of that movie was not what i expected from the cartoon show yeah. and i was still young enough that i had not become aware of the original comics that they had come from yeah that apparently were like more way more gritty and that's the the movie was clearly based on that it was also fairly low budget like the turtle costumes were fine, but it was it wasn't the spectacular thing you kind of imagined it is as a kid. Yeah. And I don't know if we've ever had that kind of turtles movie. Mm -hmm. There've been so many attempts to do turtles. Like they did a another computer animated movie just called TMNT that was completely forgettable. There was the Michael Bay produced two movies where they actually the second one had the Technodrome and Krang and they yeah. Bebop and Rocksteady and they really tried, but it was I mean, it wasn't horrible, but it also wasn't anything I'd ever like sit down and watch again because I was excited about it. Um, and so this movie, I feel, is the first time we've gotten a movie that honed very close to the cartoon show, but was still its own thing. Yes. And so what were your initial thoughts of Mutant Mayhem before we get into like the details? So it's not a movie that I'm going to be like, it's going to cling to my brain for the rest of the time. Um, there are... I really did like the fact that like each turtle wore their mask in a different way. So you can distinguish them a little bit better. Even their head shapes were different. Well, their body shapes. Like yeah. uh, Raphael is more of kind of like a jock. Yes. And then you have like Donatello is this sort of short nerdy guy, but like he doesn't play it like Donatello from the cartoon where all he is, is the, the tech guy. Yeah. There's this like kind of manic edge to Donatello in this movie. Which is necessary. Yeah especially of a character like this um i like the fact that you can tell like how the voice actors are trying to make it sound like they are actual teenagers when well, i read that all four of those actors recorded their lines together in the same room which i think is very necessary if you're gonna like play off a certain thing and there's strong chemistry between yes, them i think my favorite scene was uh when they started going off like riffing with each other and they just kept going and it felt like actual teenagers when they're being dumb and like april goes hey you don't need to keep doing that and they just kept going because they were feeding off of each other's energies because i've experienced that so many times i've seen that where it was a teenager that was annoying at the time i like the fact that they actually made april and neil a teenager yeah, and because, they made her a, like a school reporter. Yes, because I feel like as I've grown older, the idea that one of the turtles having a crush on her as an adult woman. And they're underage <laughs> is weird, yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's very much a kid's movie. And so that's why I'm like, I didn't 
I went into it not expecting anything great. And it's also uh, produced by Seth Rogen, and I forget his production partner. They did, they've done a lot of stuff together. The last time these guys did an animated movie together, it was Sausage Party, which I found to be one of just the most egregiously offensive for no good yeah, reason kind of movies. And so this is a vast improvement on that. And I, and it's that instance of it's a, a Hollywood movie and it's been given, you know, a decent budget, but it's being made by people who actually do enjoy making this movie and they enjoy the source material. And you can feel that in the movie yeah. that these are people who are having fun making a movie. Yeah, um, it did feel like a fun movie. There is a like intermix of different like design elements so it felt like at times like anime it felt like uh stop motion claymation it you could see like they looked at uh, the spider-man verse movies and were like we're gonna play up with the different styles to make something unique upon ourselves because yeah i was thinking it was clearly inspired by those movies but instead of just aping that art style they went their own direction yes and one thing i really enjoyed was how grotesque the human characters looked yeah like they're every character in this movie is disgusting looking and i love it um i really really loved uh like splinter yeah they went with like it was like an old dad design which i i like the fact who is voiced by Jackie Chan. And it's hilarious in this movie. I feel like Jackie Chan probably took this movie after Everywhere All at Once became a big deal and he realized he fucked it up by not taking yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, he's like, I need to do something cool. Um, But I love the, the way that like when he tells the story, it's a different type of story. It's not like, oh, it was a rat and these turtles and he felt obligated. He was like, no, I was a rat that was in my 20s. <laughs> and I got burdened with these four kids. Like, but I needed to protect you. And you guys wanted to see the real world. But, you know, you got rejected. And you don't remember because you're babies. But I remember. Well, that means he's only, what, in his 30s or early 40s? But he looks like he's very aged. It's supposed to be he's a he's So, yeah, his, his lifespan is different, yeah. Yeah, and it's like... um he also complains about the lack of like meeting mutant ladies <laughs> he's like i was a rat before it would have been easy for me to find a partner now that i'm a mutant like yeah, we're, yeah who am i gonna end up with and um i like it made it actually feel like you had a good reason as to why they had never been out in the public until now because he was like he tells the story about once they did yeah and everybody like tried to attack them and turned on them it's like we're not doing that you're going to die it's better if you do what i tell you and you're safe i like the fact that the like, milking and he keeps yes, telling them that the if you go out there they're gonna milk you and the Turtles are just like, what is he even talking about? Like, but we, we don't have nipples. Sure enough, near the end of the second act of this movie, the turtles get milked, <laughs> and it's disgusting. Yeah, I like that. You know, they did make such a firm thing of explaining how each turtle was different because I feel like a lot of times you get, oh, Raphael is the leader, and like uh, Michelangelo is the silly one, and then Donatello is the tech guy. The tech guy, and that leaves what was the other guy? I forgot the name. Leonardo. Leonardo. And then, like they never really like they were like, oh, Leonardo's like the hothead, but you never really got that. No, Raphael was the hothead. Raphael was a hothead, and here he kind of is, but he's more just kind of a dumb jock. But he's no, not. He, he like, but he's not as like if you look at the previous incarnations, he was like angsty, and they got rid of all of that. He's not I angsty. Love the fact that like when they're just like okay now we have to use our training 
and they kind of fuck it up at the beginning because they don't know what they're doing. They've never physically gotten into a fight. Yeah, and they've never used these weapons against people who are actually fighting yeah, them. Yeah, so they kind of fuck it up until they get themselves together. When but, they, like, injure themselves, like, the yeah. sigh stabs uh, Donatello in the knee, yeah, but and, I like, he freaks out. But the fact that it's, like, being, like, they're like, well, we never thought about, like, hurting anyone, and he's just like, I think about violence every Raphael. time. I fall asleep <laughs> yeah. thinking about violence. <laughs> like, it was the most personality I think the ki- turtles have ever had in any yeah, incarnation. A lot of times it's just like, oh, here's a little sprinkle of this and you didn't like, and that was it. What did you think of uh, Io uh, Adebri as April O'Neil? Uh, I think she was good. It, I don't think it was like an amazing performance. It was, the humor from that character feels very much like the stuff you just find kind of like in Marvel movies. Very yeah. reactive comedy. Yeah, um, but like you could tell that in the animation they were really trying to emphasize the way her voice was like, what her voice was trying to portray, which I feel like was lacking in Puss, uh, like uh, Puss in Boots, like uh, Selma Hayek's character. Yeah. Like she was actually using her voice and they would actually show that she was doing hand movements. She was doing facial gestures. So the animation really yeah. highlighted at yeah. the least like her voice acting. Yeah, I think the animators here did a really good job of also infusing every character with distinct personality. Yes. So like not just in their design, but in their movement. Yes. They were conveying to the audience, this is the kind of character. If they're manic, if they're very stoic and thoughtful, if they're a very, you know, prone to panic kind of a character, you would kind of see that in their movement. Uh, There is a host of other mutants. A lot of them are those action figures that never showed up in the cartoon show. Yeah. I think they would appear like in the Archie comics series, which had a lot more mutant characters in it. Uh, what did you think of Ice Cube as Superfly, who is the I villain? I really enjoyed it. I was a little, I went in just not really thinking it was going to be anything notable, but he was pretty funny. Yeah. I thought he was great. I did love like the the mixing of the music, which I always find very interesting when they use like old school hip hop and rap music that suddenly is kid friendly. What well, was uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did the soundtrack, who also did like, a lot of David Fincher's more recent movies. Yeah. Uh, but they are, I think both of those guys are really big music nerds. Yes. Which you shows when you look at them on different projects, because they also do like, they did the Westworld score. Yeah. And they, they know how to like uh, evoke a certain tone with music. Yes. I was at first not really sure how they were going to play Superfly, but they managed to make him actually like a cool character and then a scary villain at times i love the fact that when the, he first sees the turtles he's like at, i think they stole a vehicle from them and he's like okay what the fuck he thought they were gonna be humans and he's like oh no they're mutants he's like that means we're cousins and even the turtles themselves are really excited to find that there's other mutants like them i loved paul rudd playing mondo uh, gecko <laughs> with michelangelo it was just like it felt like such a perfect i wouldn't be surprised if paul rudd was in the room with the kid like 
doing it was that back and forth because it was just it felt effortless it felt so easy and that these characters were actually reacting to each other and playing along with one another uh i found maya rudolph as cynthia utram who's kind of the other villain Mm -hmm. i didn't really feel like that character was that notable it felt clearly that they were setting that up for like another movie yeah because utram that's the name of the species of krang's race so and then apparently there's a mid credit sequence because we didn't watch through all that where the silhouette of Shredder shows up and she's speaking to him. So they're angling f- to continue this series, which I'm fine with them yeah, doing like, it. I as far like, as like animated movies go, this is one of the better kids yeah, animated like movies. She I've did seen. what she had to do, but she wasn't like trying to angle to be like she was trying to steal the show. Yeah. Uh, Ray Filet, even though he doesn't have a lot of lines, would <laughs> stand out to me. Who's voiced by Post Malone. Uh, and the choice they went with Ray was a very interesting one, because if you look at, you know, the original image of that character in the Archie comics and the action figure, he's much more like generic superhero Captain America, Superman kind of thing. They went in a completely different direction for this. Um, the the story. We'll talk about that. Uh, how, what did you think of the the plot of this movie i think it was like a pretty good generic plot for like a kid like them being wanting to be accepted into the human world and then the like basically deciding if they help humans they'll be accepted by them only to figure out like it doesn't matter because of their looks so it could be like hey here's a hint about race guys um i I did feel like it was a pretty generic plot it felt like pretty similar to the last few turtle movie plots where it's There's a mystery they're uncovering. The mystery is connected to mutagen. They fight like a big bad mutant thing at the end. Uh, So in terms of plot, I don't think there was anything spectacular about the movie. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the thing that will stand out and is the, the driving force to go see this is the, that interpretation of the turtles yeah because of the personality that they're infused with um we also saw the first part of the spider-man duology i guess that's yeah so of those two which one would you watch again oh boy i think i would watch this one again and not because the spider-man one wasn't good i think it was just too long yes and so it really does stretch my attention span for a certain type of movie like that unless you told me hey do you want to watch the spider-man verse uh like in parts i would watch it in parts happily but again if you're like how much time do i have because <laughs> this was close to an hour and a half the spider-verse one was like what over two hours uh yeah i think it was at two hours a little over and that was a little bit too much for yeah, me yeah i think the Spider-Verse movie, like I said when I reviewed that, it would have worked better as, I think, a Disney Plus series. So you chop that movie into like four episodes and then the second half of the movie are just the other four episodes in the season. Yeah. And then that way it would be paced better because as beautifully animated as all these movies are, especially that one, it is also overstimulating, I think, yeah. because there is it's. there's never a break it's just a constant barrage of 
just intense imagery. The screen is filled with things. Uh, it's very disorienting. And when you're sitting there for, you know, two and a half straight hours, it gets tiring and your brain gets bored because your I felt like my mind just got to the point where I was like, this is just so much. I can't even really process and distinguish a lot of these things at a certain point. So I'm just kind of tired. Yeah. And I'm wanting the movie to wrap up. While Mutant Mayhem, I never felt myself getting bored. Yeah. It was paced very well, uh, despite the plot not being anything that interesting. And it was the performances of those turtles. Like, I mean, I don't laugh out loud at that many movies, but I laughed out loud yeah, multiple times did. at this like, movie. I think the stuff of like April particularly like would make you laugh. And that or like when it's just how vibrant the turtles person and eyes were and how they like played so well off of like splinter and how distinct splinter was it just felt like the most realized turtle universe we've gotten so far it felt also as if like the the writers and everybody involved like understood comedy enough to be like all right we need to go silly but we need to do callbacks on certain silliness for it to really like sink in. And it's something that like you will see in improv. So like the whole milking thing, it was brought up multiple times and it was like really like, and then there was a payoff and there was a payoff for it. Um, The fact that like we have a callback about why is it that April O'Neill they go into her school and like she they have april o puke and they took yeah. the whole thing about her not wanting to be in front of the camera which i found very interesting because it also adds to the fact that like of course she's not gonna have a camera crew with her she's just, just a, a kid. teenager yeah. and uh or like the silly bits of her being like wow this helmet i bought is really because <laughs> yeah her helmet goes through a lot <laughs> so like I remember you laughing at it because it was just like the way she said it was just very like it was a good line delivery. Yeah. Um I think that there's a lot of influence from something like a Teen Titans Go here too. Yeah. Uh and that's a show that I think gets maligned when you get into the Teen Titans fan base. Cause there's people that love the original Titans show that aired in the 2000s. And then Teen Titans Go made it a lot more cartoony, a lot sillier. It was much more in line with the current direction of Cartoon Network. Yeah. Which is, there aren't really lessons on those shows. They're just like comedy. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of something like Gumball? Oh, yeah. And I understand what the reason was. Oh, was. I remember reading online is like some people were like really mad about like the rewriting of Teen Titans because there was this whole thing about like family relationships how basically they made their whole like whole like made family and versus like the dark stuff that people go through that they're like well kids should experience that versus just the silliness my thing is always like yeah the show you're describing exists it's called teen titans it's on streaming it's on dvd and that's that's like these fans get so caught up in this new thing isn't like the old thing not remembering that we have such a deluge of media then go watch the old thing man like it's still there i think it's just more like the sadness of not having something like that represented in media but it's also like this thing of explaining like it could be out there but it's probably just being drowned out by all the other noise that we have when i find like the teen titans go show the what i've seen of it i enjoyed it i watched the movie and it was like is kind of what you expected. There's a lot of funny references to the DC Comics universe, and it was a fine movie. 
And that I saw a lot of that here where it's, we already have the dark take, but we don't necessarily have like a really silly take of the turtles. Yeah. And this leaned to that while still having like some grounded dark stuff in it. It still had some heart to it. It was like Splinter realizing that he was in the wrong by keeping like his sons like hidden and how they want to experience life and they should experience life. And then like at the end, they end up being able to go to school. And I did like that change where instead of dragging it on with, oh, they have to live in the sewers and they constantly have to hide. The the movie ends with the public loving the turtles because they save the city and then they show up in a regular high school. So going forward, the idea would be like, no, the next time we see these turtles, they're just going to be living as close to a normal life as they possibly can i think that's i think that's cool it's also you're saying that like eventually they will be accepted in media a lot of times we don't yeah and media fluctuates a little bit not every time like the small little guy gets to win but sometimes it's nice to see that well and then also it opens up opportunities for different types of stories previous iterations of the turtles couldn't do because they were stuck in the sewers and so they were limited in how they could interact uh and also, it's one of those that if anybody hates this, I would ask them to look on IMDb after they search Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and go, yeah, if you don't like this, give it a few years. There'll be another version. Yeah. Like there's I don't think the turtles are ever going to stop. They're constantly going to be mining this IP from different angles, trying to figure out another way to cash in. And I mean, that's just kind of the way pop media in America has been since mm-hmm. the 1980s. And it's just weird that all of these fan bases who adore this shit still get so mad about stuff when I'm like, you're asking for something that none of this has ever been, which is we have a single interpretation and we're sticking to it. And I almost, they're kind of adopting traits that I see from the kind of manga anime culture where you'll have like a series, but then you all have a movie based on the same source material. And those two things may not be interconnected other than they feature the same characters, but it's yeah. not the same continuity. I think it's just like, it's it's kind of, I remember one point, it was a discussion that we had. For example, I had read Red Dragon, that whole like Hannibal Lecter series. Oh, like, and, it was okay. like, and we talked about like how it would be so boring for a reader slash moviegoer to go in and see exactly the same thing that was portrayed on yeah like adaptation adaptation you have to change things and it's just sort of like it would be you have to open it up for interpretation you have to change something so you as a person who already read it is aren't gonna go well i'd rather go read the book if the book was better for you then you know what go reread the other book you're i'm sure you can also find other authors that have highly been influenced by that to follow through whatever like niche that you're into but it's like you said the unfortunately is they're going to remake it within a few years. It's going to be another set of group of people that are going to be like, this is the thing that we don't touch. And this is the thing that we're allowed to move. The IP is going to be, it's going to have like so many like versions. I mean, there already gonna, are. Yeah. yeah. So the, one of the things I always think of is that none of this shit is like sacred to me. I grew up and I was really into the turtles, but the key there is I grew up. And like on the blog, uh, I think in the coming months, I'm going to be going back and reading the first two collections of the original Turtle series, just because I'm interested in going back and seeing what was it like when they were originally created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. 
but like I don't comic books, movies, when it comes to these IPs, I just don't have loyalty to a single version. My mindset is always tell the most interesting story you can tell with this material. More often than not, they fail in that regard in Hollywood. But every once in a while, you get something you're like, oh, that was a pretty like clever take. That was different. Uh, and I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I feel like with this, that's what that was. It was fun. Certainly a kid's movie. Certainly for kids that love like f- fart and poop and puke jokes. Yeah. Kids like those are going to fucking love this movie. Uh, and it actually has some funny moments because it was made by people who do comedy. And so they knew how to inject the film with comedy. High school student Sadie Harper and her younger sister Sawyer are still reeling from the recent death of their mother. They're not getting much support from their father, Will, a therapist who's dealing with his own intense pain. When a desperate patient unexpectedly shows up at their house seeking help, he leaves behind a terrifying supernatural entity that preys on families and feeds on the suffering of its victims. So Ariana and I watched The Boogity Man, as I like to call it, uh, based on a short story by Stephen King. The short story encompasses the man visiting the office okay that's the short story that's the short story. and the short story ends where he goes back to the office because he forgot something and he sees the therapist taking off his skin and it's the boogeyman okay that's the short story okay and they took that and turned it into this movie oh boy so ariana what did you think of the boogeyman um it was boring yeah it was pretty bad and like and the sad thing is like there were a few things that are just like oh okay maybe this will be a little bit more interesting like the the friend group right the friend group was like a little bit diverse but and then like you had that so one, cliche and boring but, but then so cliche at times and i i thought that uh, we have sophie thatcher who plays sadie who you would know from yellow jackets for people that have seen that she plays natalie uh, and she has a friend, Bethany, who's in this friend group that Sophie Sadie doesn't seem to be like a part of that friend group. They seem to be Bethany's friend group. Yeah. And my interpretation was, oh, Sadie and Bethany are like girlfriends, like dating girlfriends. Yeah, I think or have a crush on each other or something. It's supposed to be that like Sadie was out of school for a whole month because her mom died. And that between that, because they hadn't seen each other like bethany goes and makes another group of friends like my read i've got very big lesbian vibes yes, between the them thing it is was like, no i'm not saying that's not in the wrong in the read i'm telling you what it is like in the movie perspective well, i mean like the movie but, never explicitly says that they're gay but like their their performances say that they're gay <laughs> <laughs> like the way they're the way they're looking at each other is something like, mm, these don't just seem like high school friends. Yeah, I mean, like, the also, like, the intensity of the fact of yeah. just, like, Sadie being, like, you made another friend group? I'm not a well, part of that And then, group. like, Bethany's concern about Sadie is not the concern you would have for a friend. It's the concern you would have for, like, a partner or someone you're dating. Yeah. Well, especially, like, the intensity that's coming across between the two of them. 
but then there's also just like you almost have to question yourself it's like so did you not make contact with your so-called best friend like, for an entire month we, like we know people this age have cell phones and are on social yeah, media so, so that would be very weird of, like or was it that sadie was kind of like closed off about it um i i just i don't know it's just it was it was what it was i feel like it was from a technical perspective it wasn't horrible the best thing about the movie was the lighting I thought there were, I think Sophie Thatcher was beautifully lit in like every scene she was in. Yeah. And you could really tell that the director wanted her to be photographed in a way that made her look her best. Yeah. And so there were some really great scenes in the house where they're kind of using that Fincher-esque kind of like yellow, orangey mm-hmm. backlighting. And so you get some really good shadows and warm colors at the same time off of her. So it's that kind of like fall feel to it. Uh, so that was good, the lighting. You know it's not a good movie when you're talking about how great the lighting is. Um, <laughs> I think it's just... It was so cliche-ridden. It, yeah, it should. there should have been maybe more play with the editing as to what's going on. Because at the beginning of the film... Um, like once we see like Sadie on screen, she's like wandering into her mom's like studio, grab you know, like gra- like going into her mom's closet, grabbing a dress and wearing that for school. And then we get like the introduction of oh, their mom died and they have not been to school in a What's month. Grief as or horror as a metaphor for grief has been done, folks. Like if you're going to mine that territory then you sure as hell better have something new and interesting to say because going like I think 1980, the changeling with George C. Scott. You remember that movie where he moves to Seattle, his daughter died. And then like the house is haunted. Like this has been going on for a long time. Grief as or horror is grief. This movie adds literally nothing to that conversation. It hits all of the plot beats you've seen in all those other movies it doesn't do them badly, but it's just kind of mimicking other things. Yeah, because it's supposed to be like the boogeyman will like apparently take over the image of someone else and then end up killing you. Kind of. Thing. But like, I didn't even understand the rules of the boogeyman. Yeah, they, because they, he appears to be in yeah. two different places at once, right? Well, like they did because he's in uh, Lester's house, but he's also in the Harper house. Well, it's like, it's Lester's house, it's supposed to be he's already infected it and kind of like waiting out like the last two of the family members. So there's this sort of rot that appears, right? Yeah. Is he traveling through that? Yes. Okay, that's what. But then here's the thing. They kill him with just fire, with like a hairspray can, some paint thinner and fire. So this existential cosmic Lovecraftian being that can traverse space through this series of network of like membranous rot that runs through houses you can just burn it to death <laughs> like the this this creature and it's it didn't seem like that much of a threat at the end when they killed it so easily i think there's just a lot of problems with the film at the end of the day um 
if it's supposed to mimic you and end up being like a person that you had cared and trusted before it was doing it in such a slow burn versus the image that we got at the beginning which it's supposed to be like lester's family on how it had killed like one of his children yeah. and it's supposed to be like it kept killing every fucking child that they had apparently and at no point where they're like hey let's move from this fucking house <laughs> or some well, I think, thing i think one thing that would immediately make this movie a lot more interesting was if it was told in non-chronological order yeah and i thought the other thing that would have made it interesting was like so every time like the boogeyman was trying to imitate like sophie or like sophie's or sophie and sadie's Sa mother like sadie and sawyer's mother sadie and sawyer's mo oh, mother and it would have been beneficial had maybe it had mimicked that voice to the point that like it would make sadie think twice because she misses her mother so much but it's always like a poor imitation but it's always this poor imitation so like maybe like hey talk to me wasn't a great horror film but it did a great thing about being like the characters obsessed with their mother and like doesn't want to let go of this dark thing in her life because it, it's like bringing her mother back this doesn't even do that like you can hear it almost mimicking but it doesn't mimic the dad at any point it doesn't mimic one of the sisters to like be like to it make the to sisters be, be like angry at each other doing poorly at what it was trying to do that's the vibe i got is for this powerful creature it really seems to not be doing its job well yeah uh i also feel every jump scare in the movie felt very telegraphed because they're simply recycling setups from other movies so you're if you've ever seen any horror movie in the last 20 years you are going to be sitting there and you'll know like oh yeah jump scare is about to happen it's they don't even use the strings i mean i guess that's the one thing is they don't try to tease you with the build-up yeah I but you can just feel it like oh a thing's about to pop out I, I kind of also had a problem that I saw it. I wish I didn't see the monster. Because it didn't look that good. Like, <laughs> I wish I only saw, like, pieces of it. And I wish, like, I could hear it, like, mimicking more to the point that, like, it would freak someone out that's being attacked. That being, like, oh, this per this thing is turning into me. And, like, it's going to take over my life and then ruin. Like, that should have been more of that. Especially, like it would have been like either Sadie gets mimicked or the dad gets mimicked because the dad is kind of like absent in some ways, like emotionally. And it doesn't do that while also doing like some little bit of interesting things. Like you said, it had, you had to do it out of order. Like, Hey, explain to me why is it that Sawyer is sleeping with the fucking lights on? Like before this movie starts, because she's sleeping in the lights on before the uh, like yeah. the. I guess like, they're trying to go. Oh well, kids are scared of the dark. But, but the whole thing is, but the movie's implying that kids are scared of the dark because the boogeyman's real. But she's never encountered the boogeyman. No, so it's supposed yeah. to be she's going through mourning, and because she doesn't want to sleep in the dark, is afraid of being like maybe her mom's gonna die. So it's like her mom died. So was it that she was sleeping in the dark and like the like they told her like her mom was dead and that freaked her out. There needed to be some play. Well, and I think there's a wasted player in this movie. David Dostmalkian. He is in one scene of the movie. Before I go over, what do you think of that actor? We've seen him in lots of stuff. He was Polka Dot Man and James Gunn. Uh, I think of him as the Ant-Man movies. He plays like the Russian guy. Yeah. Uh, 
he recently uh, i think he directed it the voyage of the demeter that dracula movie that just came out and bombed at the box office hard <laughs> and he's written some like horror comics so he's a guy that comes across to me as he's like a guy who was a nerd yeah who became an actor like a theater kid and now he's kind of found his niche niche is this this as a character actor mm-hmm. a modern day character actor but i think in the one scene he's in he is far more interesting than than the entirety of chris messina's scenes as the dad that dude i have not never liked chris messina i think the first time i noticed him was on the newsroom yeah he's been in lots of other stuff i find him so fucking boring i mean it's like he's he's so he's so passive in the film yes i think he's written that way so it doesn't help but it's so grating because it doesn't feel like your children are in distress they are grieving the death of their mother and i don't feel like they present his you could present his unwillingness to grieve in an intense way that really captivated us but they don't like you're saying he's he's stoic to the point of boring yeah, like I needed it to be a sadder character. I needed him to be like um, the dad in uh, Call Me By Your Name. Oh, Michael Stuhlbarg. Yeah, I would have preferred someone yeah. of that element that could be like very while working, very stoic, very like while being a therapist, very Measured. kind. And then when he's with his daughters, have it be like the silence is torturing for him because he doesn't know how to absorb the fact that he's supposed to comfort his daughters, but nobody is comforting him. What I also think, uh, if we're talking horror movie psychiatrist dads, uh, uh, Gabriel Byrne in um, uh, Hereditary, yeah, <laughs> like he doesn't do a lot, it's a small part. But in the little that he does, it is communicated to us. He is genuinely concerned about what's going on in his home. He's trying not to interfere too much because he knows people need to like feel their feelings and process stuff. He's in the midst of a grieving family for multiple reasons. But he's such a more interesting character to watch than this dude ever is in this movie. Uh, and like I said, Dust Malkian in that one scene is so good compared to Messina. He conveys this like broken, fucked up man that's seen some shit. Uh, and I would almost rather just switch the roles, have David Desmonkey and play the dad. That would be much more interesting, right? Because he's creepy enough that you'd be like, is it the dad? Is it the boogeyman? Like you could play that angle yeah. of it. But they, yeah, it doesn't go that way. Uh, later in the movie, they visit Lester's home where his wife Rita is. And she's played by Marin Ireland who is another kind of 40-something character actress. I seen. I remember seeing her in The Dark and the Wicked, which was from the guy who made The Strangers, and I didn't like that movie. I think she was fine in it. Uh, and then she has a supporting role in The Empty Man, and those are the two things that I would know her from. Uh, what did you think of her role? Because she has maybe, what, three scenes in the movie? I mean, she's great. She's basically substituting the gritty old man that knows everything about this monster. That character, that character was a very horror, big horror cliche. Yeah. The only variation is, I guess, it's a a woman in her forties rather than, like you said, the grizzled old man. But everything she says and does is still, that's what I expect from the character. Like she never, not until it's too late, does she explain the lore of this thing to the person who is being directly targeted by it. Because it's that 
uh, bullshit lines where it's, you know, you're better off not knowing, kid. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, she came to you because there's clearly something bad happening at home. I think she does need to know. I think her being better off not knowing is going to create more problems. Yeah, and I think there is a hindrance by the fact that, like, um, Sadie doesn't tell her friend, like, Bethany what is going on. So there could have been a little bit more conflict of Bethany believing her and then being at odds with her new friends that are like, she's fucking crazy. What are you talking about? Well, that's a, that's such a horror cliche, too. Is like, you don't communicate things simply for the sake of plot. Because yeah. if you were to communicate them, then it would undermine the story beats the director wants to hit. Yeah. And I wish, I almost wish like they had made, instead of like the mom's art studio of being where the thing like creeps about, I wish it was like creeping about in the dad's office instead. Yes. Because, you know, the dad's office has its own entrance. It means that like there are people that are coming and going and they could be confused as they're either if it if it's a client slash patient or if it's their dad in there. Um, they don't play that up either or like they could have also made the boogeyman look like uh lester instead because he was like the last like person that he actually killed within their own home like it was getting to the point that like i was like towards the end i was thinking to myself man whoever is like filtering through the 911 calls that are directed to that like area are kind of like that house is fucked <laughs> yeah constantly like something is going on uh i found that this was a film that was intended for adults you mm. think right but it speaks to us like we're little children i think it was almost like they wanted to do a teenage horror thing because like sophie thatcher is like you know in yellow jackets but at the same time, there was just only a few scenes that they thought about and were like, we're just going to make a whole movie about this. Because I felt like that scene where the youngest daughter, Sawyer, has this glowing ball. And it's like, I felt like they knew that scene, like heart to heart, kind of like they knew exactly what they wanted. And they just built a movie around yes. that scene. That was like a short film, right? That was fully storyboarded. They knew every beat it was going to hit. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, isn't the dark scary? And then this little girl can roll this ball around and then that'll reveal things a little bit. But yeah, it's when the movie is trying to actually be a movie and do things. It didn't know it, which perspective yeah. it wanted to give me. Either it wanted to be like through Sadie's eye or, or it wanted to go through Sawyer's eyes, which I think. And then was, sometimes the dad, like it like what it needed to be was make these sisters like very close because you didn't make them close until later until like almost in the middle of the movie and even then like make these sisters like utterly close after their mother's death that the dad is like concerned because it's like you know have it be like the dad feels targeted by his two daughters and that she is like that the oldest daughter is taking the role of the mom and he's like that is not your position you are not supposed to do, do, do. like make it that they're so codependent on each other that he's thinking they're making up this boogeyman thing to fuck with me yeah because there's no conflict between the dad and the daughters it's just the conflict it's so is, like the conflict is ambient dad you're just i want to talk to you about my grief and then he's like 
uh, um, I'm a little busy. And then that's but the scene and that's like, the conflict. Go talk to Dr. Wilder about that. <laughs> and it's, yeah, that was like, if the emotional core of this movie is that conflict between the daughters and the dad over grieving for the mother, then the movie failed 100% because I did not give a shit about any member of this family. I did not care if the boogeyman killed them or not. I just wanted the movie to end. Yeah. And if it ended on him killing them all, I go, oh, well, there you go. I guess the boogeyman, boogeyman won. Uh, it, I think the monster, we were talking about that a little bit, how underwhelming it is. Mm -hmm. It just is like a guy with a weird face. That's essentially what it was. <laughs> um, and for me, I was thinking of disappointments like Cobweb also had a disappointing monster when you finally revealed it. Yeah. It had just this like goofy ass fucking like <laughs> fish face. With the long, with the long hair. <laughs> and then I, I was thinking of monsters from other movies that I think are better. The Creature from Smile. That creature fucking haunts me. That scene that's from the side perspective in the house near the end where it like crawls out of the mouth of another body and it's this gigantic thing in the room. That's a terrifying image. I think of Malignant. That is a great creature because of how batshit crazy the design is. And then even the monster in Bo is Afraid in the attic at his mom's house. Yeah, that's like... Even though it's a ridiculous thing and it's very silly, it is a much more interesting monster than the thing in the boogeyman. Yeah. Which, if that's the boogeyman, I'm like, he just looks like Slenderman, kind of. It just felt like yeah. they were kind of ripping that off. Uh, and I don't think I've been bored watching a horror movie like this in a long time. Like, this level of bored. Yeah, because it felt like you could just predetermine the beats from early on. It's like, she has friends over and the dad is telling the younger sister, like, hey, you can go play on your PlayStation, yeah, any you could play on your PlayStation as long as you want. As long I, as you I think Sony shit. might have distributed the movie, and yeah. it's like, and you're just like, all right, cool. And she, but no, it was up, 20th Century Studios, so she ends up having like a panic attack while like choking on her first head of weed, and then she gets locked. Well, into... no, because remember she spits up. It was her sister's tooth. Yeah, and which then... is never explained why that ended up in her, other than. The boogeyman, I and guess. Like, how can the boogeyman just put something in you like Yeah, that? like there's like, so much about the monster that is not, and it doesn't need to be explicit, but I need to get a sense of what this monster can do. And after an hour and a half watching this movie, I can't really, I'm like, I, he can do kind of whatever the plot needs him to do, I and guess. And this, this whole thing that like her so-called friends lock her in her mom's room because they want to see where the di guy died. And then her friend Bethany is like, we couldn't open the door. We're like, we're so sorry. There should have been then a cut scene of them trying to open the door and them freaking out. But instead it's supposed to be like, well, Sadie doesn't believe them. She ends up slapping one of her friends. She's called crazy. She's called like, um, like all these things, which is like, it doesn't really fill up the conflict because you already know that she isn't getting along with that girl so it would have been like more interesting had we had a cut scene of like sophie freaking out because she's seeing something and them trying to open the door trying to call for the dad but the dad isn't responding because he's like locked up away well, his own the, room. the film lacked tension yeah there was no tension uh and you, i think you just hit the nail like explaining that it's so if you you hear all of this and you're thinking, oh, well, you know, the plot's not that good. Well, I'm sure there's like good gore and stuff. Look, one person dies in this movie. Yeah. 
one person dies in this whole fucking movie so there's not even that to look forward to it's not even you can go like oh well you know the gory death scenes were really entertaining you don't get them yeah and because like sadie isn't ta- talking to like bethany about what is going on then there's no tension as to her trying to get involved herself in this friend group also bethany doesn't have like any urgency to have sadie like get involved she's just kind of like but they're since they're my friends they're going to be your friends and sadie's like but they fucking suck well here's something that would have added stakes to the movie uh they have the the is it a, supposed to be a sleepover or just a party like sleepover a, at uh sadie's house kill one of the friends or like badly injure them like do something that turns them against Sadie, including Bethany. And now you've upped the stakes. So now Bethany is more alone. Her dad won't listen to her. Maybe she was starting to tell Bethany. Now Bethany just thinks Sadie's crazy. And that would have at least added some tension to the movie. But it's just every opportunity this film has to raise the stakes. It just goes, nah. Yeah. We're going to keep everything baseline. The whole movie, it's ambient horror and not even that good at it. Yeah, I think it's it's sad because it's like we just like we watched Talk to Me for a second time mm-hmm. with a friend and we were able to pick up on certain details, which makes me like the film a little bit more. It doesn't change my rating on it, but it makes it very clear as to like the relationships between everyone and how you can argue that like there is something racial about like a current character being blamed for someone else getting hurt well and but there were talk to me something happens yeah in this movie nothing fucking happens for an hour and 30 minutes it's just it talks build up and then shitty jump scare yeah and talk to me there is that conflict between friends about being like fuck you you led to this this and this and the other person's like you're not listening you're not believing me that we find we can find a solution no one is really having an urgency to find a solution except maybe like sadie when she goes back to rita but like at no point is like the dad informed that like sadie is doing this like going beyond what she's supposed to do um, What's and that searching the withholding of information for the sake of the plot? It's rife in this movie, and it's like it, there could have been like the dad finding out that oh no, she googled the guy's name and went to their house, and he's like, like explaining to her like that could like fuck up his own career for whatever X Y or reason, or just being like, hey, she that woman is not mentally well. How dare you go to her house and further entice her? Yeah, it's like or like the dad being like, no, I'm gonna have Rita committed, like because she's not well. But yeah, it's so like painfully boring. And when they talk about oh, we're gonna use AI to write movie scripts, I want to go. This wasn't the <laughs> script wasn't written by an AI. Because it felt like something a computer spat out after you just gave it like, hey, here's every horror movie from the last 20 years. Make a movie. And then it's just the boogeyman. There is a dark thing in a house and it is scary. And the girls in the house get scared. Yep. But yeah, I would say uh, definitely not recommending this one. I think you can easily pass. You will not be missing out on anything.
Well, that was the Pop Cult Podcast for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Make sure to check our show notes for links to all sorts of different places where you can learn more about us, including our website, popcult.blog. You're going to be able to find a lot more reviews of movies, TV shows, comic books, and more over there. Uh, Right now, in September, we're doing the Noir Masterworks series. So we're going to be looking at classic film noir, including pictures like Laura, The Postman Always Rings Twice, Out of the Past, The Big Heat, Touch of Evil, and more. Also in September, we will be doing a review series of Alan Moore's run on Saga of the Swamp Thing. Going back and looking at that first American comic that really cemented Moore's place in the great pantheon of comic book writers. If you enjoy what we do here on the Pop Cult Podcast, we'd ask you to subscribe wherever it is that you listen so that you'll be notified when our new episodes are up. You can also support us on Patreon. We have different reward levels over there. And speaking of, I'd like to thank our patrons, Morphine, who donates at the sneak preview level, Becca and Matt, who both donate at the writer's room level. If you donate at that level or higher, you'll get to pick a movie every month for me to watch, review, and you can even include your own thoughts on that review if you so wish. Well, until next time, keep listening.